0: Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know. And we'll catch you next time. So we're in a series called You Asked For It, really. And what you asked for was to learn a little bit more about the Holy Spirit. So this is the third installment of, of that topic. And we have been in John's Gospel so, we kind of took a jet tour of the book, and then we sort of honed in uh, right in the middle there at the upper room discourse uh, right before Jesus departs. He gives us some good uh, insight into into who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, Jesus essentially says to them, "It is really good that i 'm leaving it is." to your advantage that I leave. Um, I'm having just a slightly altered conversation with my children about their leaving. I can't get them. I'm talking about the advantages of them leaving. Uh, Jesus knows that the Old Testament looked forward to this day this point in redemption, when God would dwell in his people, no longer would the the presence of the Spirit be selective. No longer would it be mediated by certain individuals, prophets or otherwise. But now, we would universally experience the presence of God. And forever. So, over the... uh, in the overall redemptive plan, the age of, we're really sort of in that plan, we're in the age of fulfillment, the height of redemption, that the Holy Spirit is the, is the perfect person in the Trinity to bring about this new era where God resides in his people. So we have uh, John says... Jesus says, then I will ask the Father, so when he leaves, then I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, and he'll be with you, look, forever. Then I will ask the Father, and the advocate will come, and he'll be with you forever. Now, let's go to, and then he says, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot accept because it does not see him and know him, but you know him because he resides with you, and he will be in, and he will be in you. So think about those terms, because we learned this last week, about, or a couple of weeks ago about the Holy Spirit, that he's personal, that he's present, that he's knowable, That he's relational, uh, internal. We learned that he's not a force. We called him the paraclete. That's what advocate means. He's a paraclete. Uh, And we said that means, it technically means one called alongside, but he's, we said, multi-dimensional term, comforter, helper, counselor, advocate. We said he's one who will argue with you and he will argue for you. He's a friend. That's probably the best way. One of the authors I was reading uh, called him a friend, and maybe that's the overall best term, because a friend is all of these things to you, but he's resident and he's divine. This is the ultimate friend, is what you have in Christ, and he will disclose things to you. Uh, The person who, listen to this verse, because it sort of sums up. The person who has my commandments and obeys them. Now I want you to think about who that person is. All right, because however, this is how he's describing whoever that person is. Uh, He's the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him. And I will disclose or reveal myself to them. I will make myself manifest to them. That's essentially the new era that we live in. That the Trinity himself is going to come. He's going to dwell inside of us. And it's all about love. Eight times in John you see this word for love. And you you see it in connection to the person who... In fact, I I put it highlighted in yellow how many times he says, The person who loves me obeys my commandments. So, in the context of the spirit living inside of you, you learn something about the dynamic that's supposed to be taking place in our life. We're not just supposed to be obedient little kids, we're supposed to be in a love relationship where that naturally occurs. And the Spirit's job is to bring that about in our lives. And that love relationship just keeps continuing to develop. And we said last week that the Trinity has this loving dynamic going on. And God wants, to, wants us to experience it. So he opens it up. The Father sort of plans it. The Son secures it. And the Holy Spirit makes it makes it real to us. That's the Holy Spirit's job. To make this dynamic real in us. Where we experience the Father's love, this whole person is highly personal and highly relational in this dynamics. Like this circle of love that we are brought into. And as that is happening... Here's sort of the essence of it. As that dynamic is occurring in us, we are learning more and more about who Jesus is. He is becoming more and more real to us. In fact, let's. Look at this. Jesus says, I am doing just what the Father commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Here's Jesus saying. The same dynamic that's occurring between us, where you love me and obey me, is happening between me and my father. I love him, and so I obey him. You see, that dynamic, it just spills out into us, and we're doing the same thing. We're brought into that same reality. So that's essentially the essence of the spiritual life. We said, See, so he's not a force, he's a person that we relate to, and it's a relationship. And then we also said that uh, the spirit is not a freelancer. Uh, and let me tell you what I mean by he's not a freelancer. Uh, I don't mean that he's not creative, that he's not spontaneous, and that he's not powerful because he is all of those things. What I mean is he has a singular focus. And It's kind of where I want to springboard off of today is here. So he's called the Spirit of Truth. When the Spirit of Truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority. He's not a freelancer. He will speak whatever he hears and will tell you what is to come. And by what is to come, we're talking about the events of the death, burial, and the resurrection about to happen. Uh, He will glorify me. See, he's not a freelancer. He's he's got a singular focus. He's going to guide you into the truth about who Christ is. He's going to glorify Christ. He will receive from me what is mine and will tell it to you. Singular focus. Everything that the Father has is mine, Jesus says. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what is mine, and I will tell it to you. That's what the Spirit does. That's what I mean that he's not a freelancer. His focus is to make Christ known and real to us. So you have these terms, and they all sort of fit together. You've got truth. Let me put it to you in like, a, like a picture for a second. Because this is where we'll stay. you has got truth. He's the Spirit of truth. And then he will glorify me. And then you got, he will disclose what is mine. He will disclose it to you. What is mine? So you got all these, these are all words about revealing. Uh, spiritual reality, and we'll see what glorify here means, because this is a very interesting word in the midst of these. Because when we say, the Spirit is going to glorify me, what do we mean by that? When you and I think of that, we just think of praise and speaking highly of. But it's more than that. This is sort of like the big technical term for the dynamic going on in the Trinity. The father loving the son, the son obedient to the spirit or uh, to the father, uh, the spirit working in that dynamic. Their whole relationship and the way they work. In fact, look at these two verses to help you understand what glorify means. Everything I have belongs to you. He's talking to the Father. This is Jesus talking to the Father. And everything you have belongs to me. That's the dynamic of the Trinity. And I have been glorified by them. So this word is really sort of the here's the uh, outflow of what we experience together. That's what the word glorify means. It's a highly relational term. It's kind of a love language. Look, Father, he says in John 17 when he's praying, Father, I want those that you've given me to be with me where I am so that they can see my glory. That you gave me, how did I get glory from you? Did you just speak highly of me? No, because you loved me. Before the creation of the world. Glorify. When the spirit says I will glorify him. In other words, I'm going I'm to disclose to you and make real to you the whole dynamic of, of this love relationship in the trinity to us. That's kind of what's being said here. So Jesus uses in this terminology here. I want you to see it. Everything that the Father has is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what is mine and will tell it to you. Uh, One commentator noted this is very curious language. It's very curious phrasing that Jesus would say he's going to take from me and give to you. So all these terms, truth, glorify, uh, and disclose what is mine and give it to you. You see, it's all very Christ-centered, but it's all about making, making it real. And we need to think through what that means. Because Jesus is saying, what I have, what we share, what we share together in the Trinity, is what you need and what you were made for. I want you to have it, and the Spirit's job is to do that. Now, that's sort of the theological point of the Spirit and what he's doing. Now, what does that mean to make it real, to glorify? Glorify doesn't just mean lift up. It also means weighty to become weighty, to become real, to become tangible, to become substantial. In other words, the Spirit's job is to drive the truth of who Jesus is home to us in a way that it feels like I know him now. So you go from truth to glorify to disclose. That's what it means. Now, what I want to do is spend the rest of my time saying... So what? That's what I want to do the rest of our time. Jonathan Edwards is, uh, you know who Jonathan Edwards is anyway. He's written a number of things. very prolific. He has a little article called A Divine and Supernatural Light. Because I think we're talking about spiritual experience here. And I want to explain to you what it means. And that's what this little, um, this paper that he wrote. About what a real spiritual experience is. Because what's the spirit supposed to be doing? Is what we're asking. So here's how uh, he describes it. He talks, about, he talks about a truth going from being rational to glorious. Like w- w- when does Christ get glorified in us? What, is, what does that mean? How do we go from being rational? How does a truth be go, go from being something I know to something that is utterly awesome to me. Okay? So just want you to think about that for a second. Because that's essentially what the spirit's job is. So how does he make a propositional statement become glorious? And uh, he says there's a couple of stages. And I want you to see the stages and then we'll illustrate it. So uh, he says what happens is you believe truth first. Then, uh, then you sense it to be true. Then you delight in it. And then, and then, of course, you can't help but live it. And then you actually, I'm out of space. You're more convinced of it than ever. Do you see this process right here? That's the process. So I think, I think it's a really good picture to see what the Spirit's job is is to drive all this home to uh, reality. It's what transformation is. You say, how do I change and what does change look like? Well, let's make sure that we're moving from belief to something that we're, we're living and convinced of and love it and we sense its truth in us. That's what the Spirit's doing. So, um, the the disciples struggled with this. Remember how many times when you're reading through the Gospels, it's almost almost frustrating how many times Jesus said something, they didn't get it. How many times, uh, I mean, it was just crazy. They heard a lot of things. I would say they even believed a lot of what Jesus said. But it was not real to them at all. They'd still be walking behind him talking about who's the greatest in the kingdom. It it didn't dawn on them until after the resurrection how many times he said he will rise from the dead. All those truths about who Jesus was never became real to them until the Holy Spirit came. So that's what we're talking about here. So what we're talking about is sort of, if I can, if I could just call this spiritual reality here. Let's call it spiritual reality and say, Jesus is saying, the problem is, the reason I've got to go the way, the problem is, it's not that I'm leaving and I won't be here with you. And it's not your circumstances. And it's not more information It's spiritual reality. When is it going to become real to you? And how is it going to become real to you? And only the Holy Spirit can do that. So um, let's think about this for a minute. How does it feel? How does it look? I mean, there's, uh, I, the last thing I ever want to do is say it always looks a certain way or, or whatever. All I know is, is it, it's when a truth becomes, it's when a spiritual truth becomes so real to you that you can almost grab it and you can't help but love it, even if you're on the losing end of it. So, sometimes this happens to you in a moment. You ever have that aha moment? Maybe somebody's been telling you that you're a jerk for 20 years, but in year 21, you get it. <laughs> Aha! You have a moment. Sometimes it's a process, and the Spirit's working on you for a while to get this, because you and I, we're human, and we're slow, and we're selfish, and there's a lot of factors that the Spirit's working with, but he's inside of us, and he's trying to drive truth home. That's what I mean. Drive it home to where The truth you believe is wearing jeans and sneakers and active in your life, not just a lofty theological thought. That's the idea. You can put it on and walk in it, and it feels good, it feels right. It's not just that it is right, you sense it to be true, and you love the truth of it. Um, So I have a couple of illustrations for you. Uh, One of them Uh, I was recently in a, uh, had a meeting with a family in our church that was, that was wanting to leave Hillside and, uh, I I shouldn't say they were wanting to leave, but there was an issue that we needed to discuss and I knew that we were going to be in different sides on this issue and so we went in and, um, we both felt like the other people were being defensive a little bit a certain amount of time into the conversation, and we had just been talking about unity. And so, uh, this was about a, uh, this was a few months back. And so we had this meeting. Uh, and when we were done, I think both of us felt like, well, we're not really changing sides. But because we had gotten defensive, there was something between us. And you could feel that. But since we decided we were just going to both go our ways, we weren't going to sort of argue with each other about this, and they were going to leave, and you just figured, well, okay. And so I'm sitting, you know, I'm, I'm living with this for a few weeks. And I'm okay with it. And when I assess the situation, and you assess a conflict in your life and you go, ah, uh, I, feel, I feel mostly right Enough right so that I um, don't feel like anything, we don't need to rehash it. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And I'm, so I, I just happen to be reading, uh, I read two pages <laughs> in, a, in a book by D, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, Life Together. And I literally, literally get constricted on the inside, almost feel like I can't breathe. So overwhelmingly convicted, I had to put the book down and immediately say, God, what is this? Because I saw something in me that I don't think God liked. And it sounded like this, Pete. Even if you're only 10% wrong, But that 10% is used in any way to create a disunity. I need you to deal with it. Because the unity, the relational unity and harmony, is far more important than the percentages of right and wrong in you. And when I had resigned myself to just letting something go, I immediately got on the phone and I called the person. So we need to sit down. They were willing to do it, came in, we sat down, we had a great conversation. By the time it, there was no arguing, the issue was off the table, all of that was done. It was just resolution of the relationship so that we could literally pray for one another when it was over, that kind of unity. And I got to tell you, I didn't, I didn't go back and rehash, I still feel right. What felt right to me in a way, what really felt sensed truly right to me was that unity was more important than the issue. It, it came home to me. It was, I sensed it to be true. And then when it was over, I felt delight in it. It was like I was excited about it, even though we were in, still on different sides. Delighted in it. And living it. And now more convinced that unity is more important than what I believe the majority of the time. That kind of thing. That, that thing that the Spirit does. Uh, think about this. Let me, let me sort of put this in an easier thing. How many of you in here, you probably believe God loves you? But I wonder how often in the course of a week, you feel unloved. Snubbed put off, needy, and then in your relationships, you're a little overly demanding of it, like you're just always trying to take something from other people to give you a sense of worth and value and love, even in moments when... Maybe you legitimately didn't get loved in that situation. Do you know how to turn to that love and sense it in a way, sense God's love for you in a way that that your demands of others lessens? Because you sense his love. I know you believe he loves you. But what good is that? If you don't sense the love, delight in it in a way that even if today you go unloved, You're delighting in God's love and you're not walking around manipulating other people to get love. How many times do we feel self-pity? Had a bout with that here recently. Self-pity. I should have got, somebody should have, you know, it, nobody saw, blah, 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 that kind of stuff goes on and you know, that kind of stuff can, can just tighten you on the inside and I, and I took it to God. Lord, I, I cannot be thinking about the people in my life from the perspective that I didn't get something. Because if I do that, I'm going to relate to them far different and probably in a much more unhealthy way. If I relate to everybody like they owe me something. We do that so much to each other, and there's just always this sort of static intention in our relationships, all measuring whether or not we're going to get what we need from somebody and always feeling like, ah, eh, you fell short, you fell short. Always making other people feel like they fell short because, ah, eh, I believe God loves me, but it's not real to me. Not delighting in it in a way that, that I can love others even when they're not loving me. And be convinced of God's love. Do you see the difference? This is what I think the job of the Spirit's doing all the time. We quiet him all the time. That he's speaking loudly to us. Those are just two simple ways. Let me give you a couple of others. I sat down with a guy this week. And because, you know. (laughs) And in the course of the conversation, he blurted out what his goal is. He's in his early 30s. child. Young baby. <laughs> and he's looking ahead, and he's thinking, uh, now that he has a daughter, he, he wants to create generational wealth. So he's giving me this elaborate thing. He goes, you know, when I'm done, because he's sort of s- stressed out over work, and, I, and he says, yeah, my, one of my goals is to create generational wealth in my family. And all I said to him was, I'm not saying it's a horrible goal. I think there's far loftier ones. All I asked him was, all I asked him was, have you surrendered that goal to the Holy Spirit? Is that what he's driving you to do? That's all I'm asking. Any goal you have. Otherwise, you'll just get out to running and, and working on a goal. You work on a goal like that, by the time, by the time the end of your life, that goal will wreck everything you, that matters to you the most. That kind of goal could wreck everything about you. And I guarantee the Holy Spirit's in there trying to say, <laughs> I mean, and maybe he just used me to say, have you surrendered that goal to God? If you have and God wants you to do it and the Holy Spirit's driving you for that, fantastic. But do you have a goal? How about an identity? Sat down with another lady here. This all's been happening in the last month. By the in the, in the middle of our conversation, she's she could be a little abrasive, um, strong. Considers herself a strong lady, and she is. Uh, but she said, "I uh, consider myself." Uh, by the time we were done with the conversation and think about some of that, she goes, "I call myself. I, I think of myself as a fighter." I wonder how many of you in here think of yourself as a fighter? you know, like you could be one of the Avengers. You know what I'm saying? I'll just kind of waiting around for a problem. Suit up and go fight it out. How many of you think yourself that way? And maybe you're proud of it. I defend my loved ones. I defend my honor. I defend truth. And <laughs> How many times might the Holy Spirit be looking at you and going, I don't care what you call yourself. I don't need you fighting in this situation. In other words, take the identity that you so value, and it's become you, and you're so proud of it. Well, I'm, I don't, I'm quiet, and I don't speak up. Well, maybe the Holy Spirit wants you to say something. I had another guy this week literally tell me, well, I'm a runner. And by that he means, I usually run from things that scare me and important things. God, even. And we discussed it, and we basically came to the conclusion, runners don't really get far when they run from God. They don't get that far. And maybe God doesn't want you to run today. What I'm saying is is the Holy Spirit needs to be in your, you need to be referring to this friend who lives inside of you, constantly saying, hey, what do you think of that? Hey, what do you think of that? If you only see him as the counselor you make an appointment with every decade, Or the comforter only comes in your life when you when you can't handle it yourself. If you're not constantly saying, reveal truth to me all the time, I need you to make Jesus real to me all the time. That kind of interactive dynamic. Then you're then you're gonna get out in front of them and you're gonna be very content with who you are. You're gonna become someone that the Holy Spirit's not really prompting you to become. And you'll even be proud of an identity that the Holy Spirit, don't call yourself anything other than Christ-centered. You're not anything. You're not a sports freak. Don't call yourself a sports freak. Don't call yourself Italian. Some of you want to be Italian, and, you're, and you, you want to be, but you're not. No, I'm kidding. I don't know if Steve's in here. I used to have a book in my office somebody gave to me years ago called How to Be an Italian. So, well, maybe we'll do a series on that one of these days. But anyway, anything you are. Well, I'm a, I'm a, you're a nothing. You let Christ dominate and, and dictate who you are at any given time. At any given time. You're not a nationality, you don't come from anywhere. Well, I'm an American, I'm a, you're nothing but what he wants you to be on any given day. And nothing takes precedence. That kind of thing. Now, I just want to say something, I'm going to do this fast, because when you and I are talking about this stuff, because we're, going to, we're sort of going to, I think it's going to be next week, we're going to get to another place, and now I'm going to get a little faster in the application here. Um talking about truth becoming glorious. That's when truth becomes glorious to you. When the rational becomes glorious to you. When you love the spiritual outcome that God would want far more than anything you would want out of the situation. And you're always looking for that dynamic because he's always at work in the dynamics. You have no dynamic. The reason he's inside of you is so that no dynamic of your life is off limits to him. In the Old Testament, well, we'll just come on you when you go to war. Well, he'll show up at battle time. He'll show up at when you need him here. Not anymore. Now he's with you all the time. You ever have, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe this would be helpful. Uh, you, you, how many things in your life you don't know how to do, but if it happened, you'd say, I got a guy? How many of you would say, yeah, but I got a guy? I got there's some men in this church. I, I, I wouldn't be upright. Our, our home would be destroyed if I didn't have this certain guys in my life that if something goes wrong, if my car goes bad, I know exactly who to call. If this happens, if this happens, literally on the phone, they potentially could walk me through what the problem is in any area of my life. I got a guy. Well, I mean, we have a famous, we got a really Italian comic that we like to watch, Sebastian. Uh, he talks about his father being an immigrant and coming over and when he brought the family here and how proud he was to be here and how frugal he was. And, you know, he went to the dentist because he had, the dentist told him he needed a crown and how much it was going to cost. And he said, I got a guy. He literally goes, My father goes, <laughs> he's so cheap. He goes, My father says to the dentist, I got a crown guy. I'll, I'll find my own crown. <laughs> I don't need you to get the crown. That's how cheap he was. But, but he has a guy. You got a view. This is very undignified, and I, I don't mean to do that. But you have a guy inside of you all the time for all your everything going on in your life. Now, when we talk about where we are and it relates to the Holy Spirit, we're, you would call us conservatives, all right? This this church here. But then there's charismatics, and it gets farther. You got Pentecostals, probably out here a little bit more, and then you have, uh, there's, a, there's another group in here I've been reading about called the third wave, they're in here, we'll talk about them a little bit more. But for the most part, you and I are here, and the Charismatics scare this side. They scare this side. We're very Bible-oriented, we're very knowledge-oriented, we like control, we're fearful of anything. So we're, we're very fond of saying here, I don't think the Spirit does that. I don't think he does that. And pretty soon, we don't think he does that much. That's us. That's our problem on this side. We're very bible Give us information. We want to remove all mystery. You mean you can't explain it? Then I don't want it in my church. That's how we are. I don't want it in my life. In fact, there's a great book called uh, Who's Afraid of the Holy Spirit? In fact, Dan Wallace my New, New Testament scholar at DTS, he's spoken here many times. One of the smartest people I know. Said that sometimes, do you know what his trinity is? Father, Son, Holy, Bible. And we become, we worship the Bible. You guys hear that and you go, oh, now, wait a minute, boy. I understand. Hang in there. It's not the Holy Bible. It's the Holy Spirit. This is going to be no good to you without the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what Jesus said in the Gospels? It's got to become real to you. He's going to take from what is mine and give it to you. That includes my words, but it's more than that. And so... You say, "What does that mean?" and "What does that really look like?" Because this is this is where I've been really convicted. Um, we depersonalize God, and we we so value knowledge. Um, we so value this side here. That word is conservative, by the way. It didn't look very good. Conservative. Actually, none of them really look that great. Uh. <laughs> you say, what happens on this side? Let me tell you what happens on this side. i can just give you a quick illustrations. When it comes to evangelism, the people on this side, this is what you and I say. The reason I don't evangelize is because I'm afraid I'm going to be asked something I don't what? Because we value knowledge over everything. Do you think the Holy Spirit ever wants you to uh, do it anyway? <laughs> Let me ask you that question. It's mean, a good question. You think the Holy Spirit ever wants you to go ahead and do it anyway, even though you don't know everything? Let me give you a little hint on the "Don't know it" anyway. Uh, "Don't know enough." If somebody I usually I can't answer every question that anybody asks me. I'm going to tell you number two that's really important for you to know is, I'm not interested in it. I'm usually not interested in answering the question. What I might do is push back and say, well, you probably ought to get that figured out because you're missing out on something really great because of that one thing, like the dinosaur thing. You ask me about dinosaurs right now, I'm going to go, I have no, no, no idea about dinosaurs. I only know Jesus rose from the dead. If you want that relationship, you can have it. Quit worrying about what you know because we have so exalted knowledge, we've completely eliminated the Spirit from being able to prompt you to say something to somebody anywhere, anytime. That's the problem with living on this side. That's how we push him out. I'll tell you another one is decision making. How many of you were here last week and the Holy Spirit said, you need to go on a mission trip? And I'll tell you what you said. I don't have the money. And so you shut the Spirit right up. As if the Spirit can't solve that problem for you. Or maybe the Spirit's gonna tell you you don't manage your money well enough to do mission trips. What I'm saying is, when the Spirit prompts you, if you have a quick, common sense, logical response every time for the reason you don't do it, you're not being led by the Spirit. You've all but stuck Him in a corner. Baby doesn't like that. That's what we do. I'll tell you another one. When it comes to sacrifice, when it comes to sacrifice, in relationships, usually, I'm gonna tell you, this is just the truth about the Holy Spirit. If he's gonna teach you about who Jesus is, then he's usually gonna be teaching you about losing or letting go, not getting. Jesus didn't get a lot. So in your relationship, you always feel on the losing end, or you can't handle losing. The Spirit of God's going to prompt you and say, hey, you need to let this go, big boy. This is not a big deal. You need to let this go. You need to learn to let it go. And you need to sense the truth of that, delight in the truth of that, live it and be more convinced of it than ever. How much your spouse would love to see this happening in your life? Or how about in your business? I know it's all about the dollar, but how many times does God prompt you to to potentially maybe lose a buck to help somebody out? Because I know how business works. I know it's bottom line, but doesn't the Holy Spirit get some say in that? Community. What I'm saying is, we need to be thinking to ourselves, how am I pushing the Holy Spirit out of my life? Because I'm afraid of mystery. I'm afraid of spontaneity. I'm afraid of his creativity. What I'm saying, he's in there to transform you. It's not gonna be comfortable. And it's gonna break some of your everyday life rules and identity. And that's what he's trying to make Jesus real to you in in the places where you've set goals, in the places where you've set limits, in the places where... Uh, you believe things and you're happy to believe them. And in fact, you don't believe enough. You want more things to believe. You'll come to church next Sunday for another new truth to believe. And the Holy Spirit's saying, time out. The cupboard's full. How about letting these truths start coming through in your life? That's what he's trying to do. That's how you relate to him. That's how you relate to him. Paul, close with this. 1 Corinthians is dealing with the problem of tongues, and prophecy and all these things, the gifts, you know. And in this book, he really, he really sort of pokes holes in the thinking of both sides. In 1 Corinthians 8.1, you know what he says? He says, knowledge puffs up. But love edifies In 1 Corinthians thirteen, one through 3, what does he say? I don't care what language you speak. I don't care what gifts you have. I don't care what experiences you've had. If you're on this side of the thing. He says without love, it's what? Nothing. Paul is driving both sides to a relational dynamic not just in community. but Community is a big one. By the way, I'll just tease you with this. You cannot have a healthy relationship with the Spirit and then somehow deny community in your life. They go so hand in hand, it's not even funny. But we'll see. We'll, we'll look at that later. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.